Welcome to ADHD is over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is over. Excited to be back. Today, my guest is Bianca Martinez. Bianca is a local artist here to Ojai and a food medicine chef. Her business, Compassionate Eating, has been featured in your Health Connection magazine, the Ventura County Star, the Ojai Valley Guide, and Edible Ventura County. Bianca has given life presentations at local colleges, health fairs, and expos, and taught cooking classes and catered healing retreats as a private chef for the past 10 years. She teaches the art of self-love through the practice of preparing healthy food. Hello, Bianca. Hello. Thank you. Sounds amazing. So glad to, that you uh, are here. Thank you for uh, uh, being open and courageous and willing to tell your story. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I just love what this description said, the art of self-love through the practice of preparing healthy food. And while this is all about ADHD and, and, and PTSD and trauma and healing and so forth, you know, it can, can get heavy. But tell me about the art. How did you come up with that? I mean, how did you say one day, this is about the art of self-love through the practice of preparing healthy food? It's such a cool <laughs> slogan. Thank you. Um, I think it just, and it definitely is a practice because it's something that you have to work at. It's not something that you just get and it just, you have it permanently. It's something that you have to work at. And for me, I feel like just growing up with trauma, that um, learning to love myself was difficult because I blamed myself for so many things from my childhood and my family, um, you know. And it, uh, when I was about 18, I started researching like a lot of documentaries on the factory farming and um, just about a lot of the industrial agricultural devastation that was going on environmentally. And um, for me, it was like, okay, what can I do to make a difference for that? And also, it was something that I could come back to even if I was abusing myself in other ways, like with alcohol or drugs. It was like, okay, I can still come back and prepare myself this healthy meal as a way to love myself and like forgive myself. Like, okay, you overdid it yesterday, but we're going to try again today. And here it is. You have three times a day to do that. <laughs> nice. And is it kind of like when you say, I love myself while you're making the food, it's really like saying my body deserves to be fed with healthy food, right? Right. I'm worthy because that's a big, that's a big thing. Feeling worthy of love to receive a gift like that mm. from myself and also to share it with other people too is very healing too. That's beautiful. And I think one of my favorite sayings is your mess is your message, right? So we just talked about your message. <laughs> Let's get into the mess. And I mean that lovingly, right? Of course. We all have um, our experiences, our stresses, our traumas, our uh, things what I call in the in our childhood the road bumps, right? And we're gonna end this podcast as we discussed so beautifully earlier, with really what are the gifts that um, these experiences bring, right? And I know we're already talking about what you do, so the gift is already you're now 
making a difference in people's lives through food, right? Through, through that. So let's, let's go back. So there's, there's a time in your life that something happens in, in anyone's life, that something happens that leaves a really, you know, it's a big impact. It leaves a mark. And can you take us back to um, how old you were, what you remember of what happened where you suddenly said to yourself, okay, I'm not safe or something's up or I can't, I can't just enjoy life anymore. Right. <clears throat> well, as we, we talked a little bit before, um, a lot of the, the trauma that I experienced, I repressed for myself for many years and I didn't actually fully comprehend it let alone the damage of it until many years later. Because as children, we're so resilient and adaptable to things, even if they are very unhealthy, mm -hmm. that, you know, we kind of just learn to, this is normal, you know, if that's all we know. And so um, for me, I was molested as a young girl about, I think, the age of five. That's as far back as my memory goes mm -hmm. when I started to remember by my maternal grandfather. And uh, this went on for many years. It went on for about seven years. <clears throat> so it was a long time that it went on. It wasn't like an isolated incident. And a lot of times what happens when, you know, these incidents happen, if they're not addressed, a lot of times the child internalizes so much of it and ends up blaming themselves for it. Like they're the cause of it. They did it to themselves or, you know. Yeah, they asked for it or whatever the... Right, they wanted it, you know, all, and all the shame that, you know, comes with that. Yeah. And so, um, so that was when, you know, I just, that, that betrayal was so deep. And then it was also compounded by the fact that I did tell my mother as a young girl in the, as much that I could describe, because I just didn't have language for anything like that at that age yeah. to what happened. And she just didn't really acknowledge it. Was it because it was, was it her father or your It was dad's? her father. Okay. So was, was it more like, no, that can't be, or more like, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's not that bad. Right. It was, it was kind of like, oh, well, we'll, we'll tell Nana. I remember that's what she said. Like we were going to, we'll, we'll do something. And she just got really anxious and nervous. And then it was just never talked about. And then I was kind of just right back in the same situation mm -hmm. the following week. Cause I would go over there to be babysat. So she knew. Something she must like. have, but I, I personally feel like it was just because she can't face her own trauma yeah, yeah. that it was kind of like she couldn't face it. So it was kind of easier to just pretend like right. it wasn't going on. Because obviously there was, <clears throat> as we know now, there's always this transgenerational stuff gets passed on, right? Right. And uh, runs in the families, unfortunately, right? Right. Now, so you're, wow, so you're, starts at five, seven years, you said? Seven years. And... Was there any any threats of like don't tell, or was it just because you, you obviously told your mom, so there wasn't anything threatening of if you tell? Well, I mean, I guess at five years old you wouldn't really, you know, you probably still may want to mention it. I don't know. Right, I don't know. Like it's it's a little foggy that far back yeah, for me, yeah. but um, the the abuse, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it because that's yeah. traumatizing for people. But and it also it, doesn't matter for the frame, you know, what we're talking about here. So, right. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't violent. It was like, it was a lot of it was psychological. Mm. So it was kind of like a manipulation so that I would do things. Got it. it wasn't a yeah. forced thing, which made it even more complicated in my, yeah. in my mind. And, and the, the, 
the deepest wound I think of it was when I finally was processing a lot of my memories years later was that, that he used my compassion against me because he would pretend to cry if I didn't do what he wanted. Mm. And I wouldn't want him to be sad. And so I would do it. Wow. And, you know, once I had that memory, it was just like, whoa, like that's. That's twisted. Yeah, it's really you twisted. And, and it's funny. It's not funny, but it's, it's interesting that, you know, I was scared of children a lot of my life mm-hmm. and especially children around the ages of five and six. And I realized later that it was because I'd have to face my own innocence that mm. being around children was like, like, how can someone do that? You know, yeah. to yeah. these innocent children that are just so trusting, you know, that. So you just avoided that. Right. Being in that. Right. Or just being wow. around children. And I was always scared to have children because I thought I'd be a terrible mother. I thought I'd give them all these issues and, you know, so. Wow. Yeah. That's just amazing. I mean, I'm still processing, right? I mean, this isn't an, a, a podcast on just that trauma or sexual abuse, but right. we're seeing it more rampant uh, now with uh, a lot of children that are diagnosed as ADHD. Right. In your case, that wasn't the diagnosis, but it was PTSD later on. Right? Later on. But they did, you know, think that I had ADD or ADHD as yeah. a teen. Makes sense, right? Because yeah. you're probably not very present and distracted and yeah. running from things. All and... these coping mechanisms, you know, disassociation was a big one for me. Yeah. Because I was just, that was how I survived the trauma is I would just kind of leave my body and just kind of space out. And that happens a lot, what they say with girls, because girls aren't usually hyperactive uh, for the most part. And so boys get diagnosed more often. But for girls, you know, the term space cadet, right? They're spaced out. Right. Well, not because they have ADHD, and this is my claim, but you mm-hmm. just, in a way, you just confirm that, right? It's like you're disassociating right. from the reality or your body or the, the world you're in because mm-hmm. it's a lot to process. Right. Or it's not safe. It's not safe. Yeah. It's not safe to be in your body or the people that are supposed to take care of you aren't taking care of you. Yeah. And that's really intense for children. It's too much, really, for them to even comprehend you know, that the people that are supposed to take care of them are actually hurting them. Like that's, I hear that sentence a lot. You know, yeah. that's one of those textbook, um, not diagnoses, but it's like things that, that later adults look back to their childhood. And it's like, wow, well, I was, I, I was confused. I was manipulated. I didn't even know what to think. Right. Right. And so, okay. So you're there, let's just say this is going on for seven years. You're 12, you're middle school. How did your parents react to you starting to become, I guess, more disassociated more. And you were saying you were starting to get in trouble, right? Yeah, definitely. At what, like what age? Probably like, yeah, like 12, 12 years old. You know, I was engaging in a lot of adult behaviors at that age. I mean, when you're sexually, you know, being sexualized at such a young age, it's, it's what's familiar. Yeah you know, when you grow up and I had a lot of shame around that for a long time, but you know, it was just one of the ways I coped with it. Some people kind of go like way into over-sexuality and some people just become like totally asexual and they don't want to even touch it. But you know, I went the opposite direction and uh, you know, that was really intense for my parents. You know, they have this young child that's acting out and doing drugs and smoking and having sex. It's just like, what the heck is going on? And they just kind of thought I was just this problem kid. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's shocking really that, 
they couldn't see that there was a deeper problem because I mean, I used to, I mean, one of the, one of the gifts, we talked about the gifts, one of the gifts of my, of this whole thing, cause I was always grounded for being a bad kid. So I spent most of my teen years kind of like, not like literally locked up in my room, but I was pretty much just in my room for years mm. because yeah. I was always in trouble and couldn't go do anything. But I just escaped through my artwork. So I became like a really good artist because mm. I would just kind of draw my way into these other realities. But a lot of the drawings were really telling, you dark. know, they were violent, dark, yeah. you know, and it's amazing to me that, you know, no one really like put that together. You know, I mean, later on, I had a therapist that looked at those and was asked me the question, like, were you ever abused? Like when I was in, went to Chico State. Wow. I had, I was, cause I was starting to have panic attacks then when my early twenties, I felt like they were, the memories were trying to come out then. Yep, cause yep. I had moved away from home and I was kind of safe from my whole family scene, mm -hmm. but I didn't fully emerge until several years later. And when, when that psychologist said, or therapist said, were you ever abused? Was it right there or you had to literally remember or like, yeah, I didn't know. At the time, I didn't even know at the time. Wow. That's how deeply I buried this for myself. I mean, I kind of always had a feeling something bad happened, but I just couldn't put it together. Mm. And then, you know, like when my parents, they just didn't know what to do with me, you know, when I was acting out. I mean, I was like stealing stuff and ditching school and just, you know, all the bad kid stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, so they took me to all these psychologists and psychiatrists, you know, which unfortunately a lot of them are quick to medicate. So they thought you, know? you were just a black sheep. Right. You were just a troublemaker. And so was then, let me guess what was next. Was it ODD, oppositional defiant disorder? Was it anxiety? <laughs> I don't even was think it, they had that then. <laughs> Come out with all this stuff now, you know, yeah, this yeah. was back in the 90s. But so what did they offer you? What it was like, of? they gave me Prozac, they gave me Wellbutrin, they put me on like Zoloft, Serazone. Those are just the ones I remember. Wow. And it literally made me insane. I mean, putting me on all this different medication. Like, I was probably like 13, 14. But you had already been doing drugs. I, yeah. Smoking marijuana. Right. And, you know, I did a lot of LSD actually. I kind of tripped myself out as a kid and took wow. mushrooms and stuff. <laughs> you went permanently kind of open some doors, you know, wow. things yeah, melt yeah. if I look long enough. Mm, <laughs> you know? I see. Yeah. I have a friend who's dealing with that right now where stuff starts to dis, what is it called? Disintegrate or. Melt. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I, I didn't get into like the hard stuff. I think that's stuff. a gift though. I think that's the, seeing through the matrix, but that's my opinion. Right. <laughs> If you do it too much, maybe not. Right. Medicinally, yeah. When you have like a guide and stuff, you yeah. know, I don't recommend tripping out in your room at 13 by yourself. Right. Right. <laughs> Take it from a pro. Uh, I'm joking, but no, seriously. So, so you were doing some drugs. You then have these legal medications. Now, how does that... Do you now take them and go, oh, I'm already used to kind of feeling better when I take something, so let's just continue and experiment with it? Or did it, did it actually have side effects or make you feel not good? Or, you know, how, it was, how was the reaction to some of those meds? I felt like it was really bad. I, I resisted them. I think just intuitively I knew that it's not what I needed. But I wasn't in a place to really resist at that point. But I ended up resisting. And you didn't like abuse it. You just sort of were like, yeah, I don't want Yeah. It. You know, my mom would put them in the little pill boxes, you know, and just take your pill every day, you know? And so I would, I went along with it, but, um, you know, I didn't get better. I still was acting out and having all the same problems. It was masking. 
I felt like it exacerbated it, frankly, because it was almost like it, it just it, it was like a roller coaster of emotion. I just felt like it just kind of scrambled my chemicals and my brain, you know, and it, there was points where I was just like, I remember there was one night my mom was like on the phone. Like, I think she was on the phone with the psychiatrist, like freaking out because I was freaking out because I was just going like happy, mad, sad, crazy. You know, I just felt like yeah. totally nuts. And yeah. and at one point I was going to attempt suicide because I was just so depressed and I was so I felt so crazy in my mind that. But, uh, just, but at that time you were aware. Well, let me think. Is that a meta meta level? Because you're now thinking back. But at that time you were aware of the abuse? No. Mm -mm. Okay. That, wow, that just took a, an extra level of thinking for me because you're here thinking back to 12 or 13. Right, we're going back and, and forth go in back. time a lot, right. yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so you're just, yeah, you're just trying to be happy, trying not to be sad, try not to be depressed, take meds, blah, blah, blah. And the parents just literally thought you are the problem and nothing's working. Right, yeah. And then where did they go from there? Um, well, after my suicide attempt, they put me in a mental institute, mm. you know, it was like, uh, to, because they thought you were really crazy or to protect you probably from... to protect myself from myself. Um, yeah. So they, they took me to Vista Del Mar in Ventura and then I ended up going to like charter in Thousand Oaks, I think for like a month, I think I was there mm. and, uh, you huh. know, they kept giving me medication there too. At the institution? Yeah. How was that? I don't know. I just felt like I just wasn't nuts. You know, I just felt like I didn't need to be medicated. And so a lot of times I just wouldn't take my pills and stuff. Where'd you put them? I'd flush them, I think. <laughs> I'd put them in my pockets or something, you know. You rebel. I always will be. Like, <laughs> it just made me. That's the thing about this kind of stuff when you live through it. You always question. You don't just trust, you know. Unfortunately, right. there's there's that... You know, you kind of have that vision of like, you know, mistrust. You don't want to just go into things always having that idea that someone's up to no good or whatever, right. but it's there. Well, that's interesting because, you know, with what's going on in the world right now, I feel like a lot of my friends who have been through traumas, who, you know, are healing themselves, they're more, uh, I should say, they question the system more. Right. But they get a lot of slack, including myself, for it because we're like conspiracy theories. There's no way yeah. your grandpa would ever do something yeah, to you. That's crazy. People don't want to believe it. Exactly. And people that have been through trauma know how effed up yeah. people can be and how twisted yeah. things can be. It's scary. And one of the reasons why I do this, and you just got me present to this, is the absurdity it is for us to continue this transgenerational hand-me-down of undiscussed and unbrought to the light trauma such that we're going to make a child the problem and then medicate and literally just drive them away to almost suicide. Yeah. And I just want to insert parents do the best, most of them, the best they can, right? It's not really... Right. It's not like they want to hurt their children, it's, but it's a lack of, of tools, I think, and just... Yeah. Yeah. Lack of awareness. And I see, I think it's also a lack of our society saying no more. Yeah. Right. Because if not, we're going to keep uh, wiping it. What is it under the rug and keep it there. And then we have, 
you know, humans running around in the world, depressed, on meds, suicidal, divorce, abuse, war. But there's there so go. many other ways, you know, to heal these things. And yeah. that's, that's what inevitably healed me, which we can talk about in a little bit. But, Absolutely. You know, these alternative ways that actually do get to the root of the problem on yeah. every level. The actual root. Yeah. And so maybe we go from there. So you were in the institution. You didn't last long there because you're, you're probably a good patient, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was people in there that were like really like, you know, they were like coked out or, you know, I never got into that. And, yeah. and so... I saw too many people like die basically from drug addiction in my circle that I was just like, wow, I don't really want to end up like that. I'm not going down. I'm not going that dark. Mm. But, um, but yeah, I ended up getting out of there and then, you know, I still kind of was continuing doing a lot of the same things I did, you know? Um, and I ended up running away from home at one point because I just didn't want to take the medication anymore. I was about 15, 15 years old. Yeah. And that was a whole trip, just, you know, getting off of these medications because I was like tripped out from the withdrawal of it. Mm. And then just kind of like staying with random friends or staying in abandoned buildings and just roaming around at night and just tripping out basically by, by myself a lot. Yeah. Wow. And I remember there one night I stayed in like a friend's garage or something and uh, it was like the it was like I finally broke through it. It was like this detox. I remember just sweating and just, you know, just having all these really crazy dreams. Mm. And um, it was like, I don't know what to call it, like how to describe that, but it was almost like a, it was like a purification happened. It was right. like I came home to myself, like you made the right decision to do this, to save yourself. Mm. And um, So you saved yourself from the environment that wasn't really allowing you to heal. Yeah. And you sort of found a way to crack through it and wean yourself off. And, and wow, that's amazing. And then where did you go from there? Did you go back home? I did. I ended up going back home. I remember because for some weird reason, I still would end up going to school sometimes, even when I was running away from home, <laughs> like cause I went to art class, you know, or mm. my teachers always just would, under, would just didn't couldn't understand me either. They're like, you're so intelligent, like you just don't care. You know, you're just bored, I guess, you know, I just didn't want to memorize all this BS I thought wasn't really important. But, um, I remember my mom, I remember seeing her like, cause she'd go to the school sometime to check if I was there. And I just realized how much it was hurting her to be worrying about me and, you know, the compassion again for her. And right. I just felt bad that it was hurt. I was hurting her. I didn't want to hurt her, but I was hurting so I just felt like I was doing what I needed to do to help myself. And how but, long, how long were you away from home when you ran away? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't that long. It was maybe like three weeks, four weeks. I want to say long for a parent. it's long for a parent to yeah. be freaking out, wondering where their kid is. Yeah. It is sad. I used to see her like driving around looking for me sometimes and I'd be oh, hiding. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And just knowing that what that was doing to her, you mm-hmm. know, was really sad for me. But at the same time, I just felt like I needed to do that. And it made a big difference because it was almost like my parents like respected me a little bit afterwards. Because when I came home, there wasn't as many restrictions as there used to be. I think partly it was if they were afraid that I would run away again. Yeah. But partly I think that they, maybe they realized that maybe there was just another way to deal with this. Yeah. Because I refused to do it that way. Wow. And so, you know, they didn't medicate me anymore after that. 
Did you talk about it when you got home? Was there ever like a sit down and like what happened? Let's talk not about really. No. It was just like, oh, you're back. Wow. You know, we cleaned out your room. Like a bunch of my stuff was gone. You know, they got rid of all my black clothes. You know, I used to be one of those like goth kids with a mohawk, mm. you know, <laughs> like don't mess with me. I'm going to look scary. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like this totally sensitive, hurting person inside, you know? Right. But, um, but Which yeah. Which is actually a good, it's a nice, uh, um, example you just gave there because i think often especially as adults we see teenagers or you know kids that are like totally you know tattoos punk whatever and they look intimidating and they look so like they're gonna f you up or steal your stuff but there's really a weak sort of a hurting uh soul in there there's a deeply sensitive person in there that's yeah. you know it's just a defense you know just like some people overeat you know they become big kind of yeah. like to yeah. keep people away from them that that's common in you know people that are survivors of especially sexual abuse you mm-hmm. know because they just want to be like keep people away you yep. know or yep. just with their weight like no one's gonna mess with me if i'm bigger or maybe exactly. even make themselves unattractive sexually because they don't want that attention because it's just again. too yeah. much for yeah. them wow but it really did shift after that. So you never talked about it. And then were your parents, how was their marriage? How was their relationship growing up? Um, unfortunately, my mom was an alcoholic. Um, I didn't really realize how bad it was until I became older. But, um, you know, she really just kind of would self-medicate after work. You know, she would drink her drink, she'd make dinner, and then she'd kind of just watch TV all night. So, and my dad was like a workaholic. He grew up with a lot of abuse as well. Yeah. And, you know, East LA, you know, I'll give you something to cry about, getting beat up, people getting shot in your front yard. You know, I mean, it was intense the way he grew up. He grew up with alcoholism. Both of my parents have incest in their lineage. Yeah. And I mean, I feel blessed that I've been able to like stop that chain yeah you stopped the chain you've healed Mm -hmm. that in the lineage i feel like that's what i was came here to do that it stops here Mm. and um that's amazing but yeah they their marriage was you know i mean they argued sometimes i mean there wasn't like any physical abuse or anything i mean my mom would get pissed off and throw shit sometimes but you know just a plate yeah yeah exactly (laughs) you know there's still a crack in the wall you know at the house but, um, but yeah, they, I didn't feel like their marriage was bad. I mean, they loved each other, you know, they went on dates and, you know, unfortunately yep. a lot of times when they went on dates, I was at, you know, whose house, you know, but, um, well that's, so I have a question, right? So, um, you said something earlier, you said that the environment becomes unsafe, right? Kind of like walking on eggshells. You are, you're what I call your nervous system sort of activates and, you know, it's like the red flags come and you're like alert survival mode. Right. Hypervigilance. Yeah. How long did that last for you? You know, cause I mean, you were five, but then, then if your parents also were alcoholics or maybe there was some yelling or some throwing a plate here and there, obviously that doesn't help. But was it when you moved to college or was there a time before that, that, that stopped? Or was it just continuously? Through? Just the hypervigilance yeah. or just, you know, having the, like the, um, the residual of the trauma. Yeah. I feel like I've, I've experienced it to this day. Mm. Yeah. True, Unfortunately. True PTSD. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I get triggered sometimes still, which mm. is difficult. 
to deal with. <laughs> so I'd like to just insert here for our scientific friends um, that I think it's ridiculous that we as a society, as a, you know, as human beings to this day believe that those kind of events or those trauma traumatic stresses or parents yelling or, you know, arguing in front of kids has no effect on a child's psyche, let alone an adult. I mean, you're now older and still dealing with it, right? And yet we go, nah, it's not that bad, you know? Let's put it in movies and in advertisement. Let's just keep, right? It just blows my mind. It's like you are a living example of how something like this to this day is with you. Right. And years later, when I finally realized what had happened and I put it all together and um, it's amazing how it all fell together, but... Once I realized it, it was just like, it was like a tsunami, you know, and a lot of it was just grief. Mm. It was just so much grief because it was like, God, like no one knew that happened to you. No one helped you mm. like in the way that you needed. Like, like I just had so much grief just for myself and all the, the ways that I hurt myself. Like I just wanted to just hug myself, you know, like, God, like you lived through that. Like, yeah. And then acknowledging the little one in you that. Right. Yeah. And I drew pictures, you know, I did a lot of art therapy, which really helped me. I mean, once I realized what had happened, I just dove into like all these different kinds of healing. Mm. Cause I was just like, you know what, this is really effing up my life. You know, it's to the point where I remember there was a point in my 30s when I was remembering a lot of things that had happened. All these little things were kind of clicking into place with me. Okay, well, shit, that's why I drank or that's why I was promiscuous or that's why I did this, you know, that's why I ate and you know, that's why I bit my nails so much. That's why I was so anxious around this certain relative, you know, all these things started making sense for me that were just were so confusing for me my whole life. And, you know, I feel like when you're ready to heal, like the right people show up. It's like you open this, this frequency that comes. But I was at the point where I was having like agoraphobia, like I was having like panic attacks and like I couldn't even leave my house sometimes because I would just be just having such bad anxiety. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, you know what? Like my anger and my rage it's just, I went through so many different cycles with, you know, it was the grief and then it was the rage that like this happened and no one stopped it. And, mm. you know. And had you ever been able to confront a family member? Have you had discussions since then with your family? And how did you resolve that? I did at some point. I mean, it, um, yeah, the, the anger motivated me to heal because I was like, I'm not going to have this control in my life. You know, I'm not going to let this control what I do. I can't even do these simple things. Just like going to the bank ATM was just like, oh my God, I have to go into the bank. You know, I mean, this is like normal life stuff. But for people yeah. that have this kind of, this ton of challenge, you know, this is like a big deal. And um, I don't have that anymore, fortunately. And there's moments where I'm just so grateful. The simple things like I can ride in a car without freaking out. <laughs> You know, it's sad, but it's true. But, um, but yeah, I ended up, ended up going to my parents after I realized all this stuff that happened. And I told them, I told my mom again, I told my dad and, you know, it was not received well. 
you as know. In, as in we don't talk about these things or? I mean, she initially was just like really upset. And then it was kind of like the, oh, well, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe it was just this. Maybe he just did this. Or, may, you know, it was always yeah. trying to kind of make it not as bad as it was. But that didn't work for me. I mean, I ended up having to not see my parents for a while during part of my healing process because it was just too triggering to be around them. And they weren't being supportive of me going to therapy and stuff because I'd already been through a bunch of therapy as a teenager where they were medicating me and not really getting to the root of the issue. But once I knew what the root of the issue was, I was trying to go to therapy. There was this woman who specialized in PTSD complex, you know, which is what I was later diagnosed with. Um... And my parents wouldn't help me pay for it. It was like this pulling teeth trying to get them to help me pay for it. And my panic and my anxiety was so bad that it was becoming hard for me to go to work Hmm. where I was like having to leave my desk, you know, and like go into the stairwell because I was like, you know, breathing heavy because I was remembering all this crap that happened to me. And I ended up quitting my job because I just couldn't handle it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, complicated things going on in their relationships. And as I mentioned, you know, once you have been abused, it's like you attract abuse because you're kind of like imprinted with it and you attract predators and you attract abusive relationships. You just keep recreating the problem or the pattern until you're ready to heal it. Mm. So I I had a lot of abusive relationships, you know, with alcoholic or people that had other problems. And so that kind of was compounded at the time that I was going through this. But, um, but I was with one partner for many years, 18 years, um, that actually was the first person that I was with when I was about 12 years old. We were together for a really long time. He was also a sexual abuse survivor that did not make it. Oh, he wow. ended up succumbing to drug abuse, opiates, another, you know, pharmaceutical thing that went bad. Right. You know, he hurt his hands at work and ended up getting on pain meds and then it kept getting worse and it progressed into other things with mm. alcohol and the whole thing. So that was, that was really traumatizing to lose him. But there was another relationship that I had where the partner I was with had experienced a lot of trauma and healed some of it and, you know, was supportive of me dealing with my parents in that where, you know, he even tried to encourage me to sue the family for like personal injury because my relative, my grandfather that did this to me was still alive. He lived till be almost 95. He was like a ghost that kind of hung around for a really long time. And were you ever, ever able to talk to him, speak to him about it? I did confront him a couple years into my healing process, which was really difficult. Mm. Um, But my parents eventually did, you know, kind of ban him from family gatherings and stuff. So I was, I didn't have to be around him. They respected that enough. They believed me to the point where they didn't force me to be around this person, which was, you know, healing on some level. And do you think that they didn't support your therapy because they're, they were afraid maybe there's more stuff that's coming out or they have to then look at their own stuff or right. I think it, well, a lot of it was, was that they would have to look at their stuff. I mean, cause they could have gotten in trouble for not reporting abuse. Right. You know, that right. they kind of didn't look at it. You know, well, how could you not have known? You it's know, like, what would you give to have been able to be a fly on the wall after you told them and you left and they're in the kitchen and it's quiet? It's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it blows my mind. The, the, the spaces right now out there, there's people right now going through the same thing you went through at five years old, at 12, at, you know. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, they, 
it was obviously traumatizing for them to have to know this about me, which is why I didn't really tell a lot of people because it hurts people. It hurts my friends to know that I went through such, you know, suffering, you know, with this. And, um, but still a lot of it was turned around to be about them and how it's still hurting them and how me, you know, possibly even seeking legal action and what it would do to my mom. They weren't like supportive of me getting justice. They were like, you're going to upset your mother, you know? And it was just right. like, well, what the hell about me? What the heck did I go through all my life? Right. You know, it was almost like that just wasn't even part of the equation. And that kind of compounded the, the pain of it all. And was, I think that's why we keep handing it down and transgenerationally why it keeps happening is because no one says, fuck you right now. This is not about you. Right. This happened to me. Yeah. You go heal your shit. I'm healing mine. Let's support each other and fucking cut it right here. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's no, no, it's, you know, going to upset. We just want to stay in our pattern of denial, you know, or whatever it is. What, what will people think in our family? And, you know, we have lawyers and we have, you know, politicians in our family and they're going to be, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that was, that was intense. And, uh, yeah. I ended up, it's interesting, the whole process of trying to get legal support because it happened so long ago from the point that I actually remembered and wanted to do something about it, mm -hmm. that they have a statute of limitation that's like 18 years or something. And you can't prosecute can't before that, you know, or it's, they, there was some weird clause about like, you know, when you should, could have reasonably realize the damage or something that was this weird kind of weird little gray area yeah. that they had and you know it was like i didn't even put it all together until so much longer and the fact that i wasn't able to even do anything after that you know so after that you're done you can't claim it anymore yeah you're just you know sorry it's been too long yeah <laughs> yeah you oh. know and so that was really hard to deal with but honestly i don't think at the time i was i wouldn't have been able to like sit there and point the finger at him and them and deal with that. It would have probably just destroyed any relationship right. I could have ever had with them. Right. I didn't care about my relationship with him, but you know, I could have sued and taken his, their whole inheritance, you know, my mom and her brother and everything, but I didn't do right. it. Well, there's a level that's acknowledge you for that. Cause there's a level of responsibility, right? It's like, look, I can blame everything around me or I can just from now on powerfully move forward, forgive, right? Not necessarily make it right what happened, but because if you don't forgive, you're going to have resentment and that's going to hurt you in the long run once they're gone. Right. right? Yeah. Cause forgiveness isn't approval. It's just letting yeah. go. Yeah. And I know that took a lot of work, so I don't want to downplay that and say, oh, good, you forgave and moved on. Yay. You know, it takes a lot and you're still dealing with it, right? Right. And and like you asked, you know, about did I ever confront him? And I did. And he actually, he denied, tried to deny it, of course, and then um, eventually did admit it, that it was wrong. In the same session? Yeah. I went to his house. Wow. I didn't see him in, in like a counseling setting. I actually just, after it was after my grandmother died um, because, I mean, she was part of it too. I mean, she was just kind of in the other room watching TV while it was going on. You know, he did it that close to the family, mm. you know, which is amazing. And, um, but she had passed away and then I had gone to confront him and, you know, he did admit it. And he, and he I remember him saying that he was, he was sorry and that if he had known how bad it would have hurt me, he wouldn't have done it. That's what he said. Wow. And then I told him, I was like, all right, well, and I demanded money from him. 
I said, you know what? I can't pay my bills. I'm about to lose my apartment. I can't go to work because I'm having all these panic problems. I'm getting in massive credit card debt. You know, my fiance just died. Give me $10,000. And, um, (laughs) good for you. And he, um, you know, he was just kind of like, Oh, I don't have that money, whatever. But Mm. a couple weeks later, he gave my mom a check and she gave it to me for $10,000. Wow. And that was another layer, you know, of the healing process. Um, cause I was able to buy myself therapy mm. and, um, mm. and actually the death of my, my fiance or my partner that I had for 18 years, uh, he left me some money. Um, even though we weren't together at the time, cause I knew that he was gonna, you know, destroy himself. Yeah, yeah. I saw it coming and I was like, I can't watch you do this to yourself. It's just too horrible. But, um, he left me some money. And so I was able to buy myself a lot of healing with that money. That's beautiful. I, I, I paid for myself to do a lot of retreats, like healing retreats, therapy. I mean, I did everything. I tried Reiki, aromatherapy, you know, I did these shamanic painting retreats where you can just paint, you know, these intense paintings and scream and, Mm -hmm. you know, do all that stuff, which is just so healing. Cause there's just, this is like, like, you know, people that smoke and eat and, you know, do these things to keep down, you know, these emotions and these, these screams that are, that were never able to be mm. let out, you know, I mean, they're still there. They're stuck in the body. I feel right? like they're stuck. If we don't let it out, if we don't shake it off, which I oftentimes say that a hyperactivity in a child is just, there's trauma stuck in the body and the only way you can get it out is by keep shaking your leg or by keep, you know, you, you just right. don't know what it is. And, and, you know, the food doesn't help either with, you know, the, the crazy stuff they're putting in food nowadays. Yeah. I feel like that's a huge culprit for a lot of these ADD Absolutely. and ADHD and these disorders. I mean, these kids are eating red dye number 40 and aspartame and all these chemicals, you know, I'm like, what is that doing to Caffeine, the brain? Sugar, yeah, you exactly. know, and it's compounded by all these other environmental toxins too. Yep. And the food and the, you know, whatever it just, now, every, you, it's now a, put trauma underneath that. I right. mean, you got, and then you're messing with the brain like, chemicals, yeah. you know, and you wonder why, Let's you know, medicate. these kids are acting out. It's like, dude, just get them off the GMOs and get them some organic food and you'll see a major difference. Get them off the sugar, get them off the corn yeah. syrup, yeah. all that stuff. I mean, it's like ethanol, man. They're using that for gasoline. You don't put that in your body. We're doing that right now. We've started seeing a uh, local uh, Ayurvedic uh, healer and uh, our son. Love Ayurveda. Oh, it's great. (laughs) And I'm new to it, right? But we're noticing that our son has become more grateful. It's odd. It's been three weeks and he's been taking this ghee, this brain ghee and the tea and the herbs. And suddenly what we noticed wasn't like he's calmer or he's more focused, but he showed up and it would say things like, ah, I'll thank you so much and we're like wait did he just say thank you because before he would just like take take things or you know the thank yous and the the pleases were kind of rare and it would just overwhelm us and we were like oh my god so it doesn't really matter like i always say it doesn't matter what you're doing and what the effect is but try it all because it's all going to make a difference i don't know what was it is it is it the the ghee is it the exercise is it less video games all of it makes a difference, but I always say the underlying thing, if there's trauma and that's not addressed, everything else is sort of just more of a watered down kind of band-aid. Right. And you're masking it, right? Yeah. Which, again, in your case, I think is a great example, even though you weren't diagnosed with ADHD, 
It was PTSD. Later. They later. thought I had later. ADD and ADHD as a exactly. teen. Yeah. And, and you were more spaced out than you were hyperactive. So you could say most likely you had what we would call now a disorder called ADHD. But it wasn't because you had ADHD. It was because there was trauma. Right. And you were just checked out. You were disassociated. I love that word because not everybody uses that. They'll just say you're checked out or you're not interested or not focused. Right. That makes a huge, that makes sense to me, mm -hmm. right? And so let's talk about how to turn a trauma, right, into a gift. Because a lot of parents that are listening right now, we have listeners actually, I'm really excited. We have now over 14 countries. This is like Turkey awesome. to Africa, like Kenya and Brussels, you know, Belgium. I love it. And, and what I hear often and also in ADHD support groups is for parents to go, well, Okay, yeah, but so we have the trauma and we're working on that. But so now, so now what? Where is my son going to go if he's not going to get good grades? What is he going to do? Is my daughter not going to graduate? And then what? So I'd love, I'd love to hear from you how you uh, turned around. I mean, you went to college, right? I did, yeah. Uh, how come? How did you, was it, was it easy? You just went and you did it? Um, I felt like... I don't know. I think my parents just probably thought I was never even going to graduate high school, you know, because I got kicked out of high school. Um, I ended up doing independent studies. And then I took college classes while I got kicked out of high school to make up credits because I was on like independent studies. So I went to college to make up credits from high school. But you you knew you wanted to eventually, once you made up the credits for high school, go to college or? I liked college hmm. because it was just free from all the bullshit, you know, of, of high school and the cliques and the rumors and the, uh, you know, all that just immature stuff that I just always felt was just so, so ridiculous and just petty. And so once I was in that kind of environment where there, I could choose things that I wanted to learn, it was like it, I, it gave me a, a deeper, you know, desire to continue mm. because I loved, I took a lot of art classes. I took psychology and geology and all these other things, you know, which fascinated me. Um, I love learning about plant science. You know, there's part of me that's kind of a science geek, but in my art brain too. But my teachers always recognized that I had a lot of art talent. And mm -hmm. the fact that I was getting this positive feedback for something, yep. you know, you know, is, is helpful. And so... I ended up taking a lot of art classes and then after I, I ended up graduating from high school in the time that I would have, even though I had gotten kicked out, I ended up going back my senior year. It's funny, I actually worked in the office and handed out detentions <laughs> when I was the one that was always on Saturday school, you oh, know, that's funny. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they'd see Payback. me coming around like, ah, oh, here she comes, you know, with the <laughs> detention slips. But, um, it was just funny. My principal, because I'd be in his office all the time when I was in high school. Oh, Bianca's back again, you know. He, and he would just, like, shoot the shit with me because he knew I was a smart kid and yeah. he couldn't really realize why I was doing what I was doing either. Mm. He knew I wasn't a bad kid, he, yeah. you know. But but anyway, so I ended up graduating high school and then ended up graduating college. I went to Ventura College and then um, I wanted to pursue my art and then... You know, I, I started learning about like graphic design, which is kind of like a cool segue of art. You can kind of, you cause you know, the, the whole thing of artists are starving, you know, which isn't really true, but you know, it's like, you can make a career out of art that way exactly. if you're a designer, an illustrator or something. And so 
a friend of mine went to Chico State and I went to go visit her and I loved that environment as well. Plus it was really far away from home. Mm. And I loved the art studio environment and all this creative process, you know, it was just so enticing to me. And I had such a, a passion for it and I was really talented. And um, so I just kind of went there. My parents didn't want me to go there. They didn't want me to go far away from home, but I was really adamant about going. And so, you know, I made up, I did all the transfer, whatever I needed, the credits I needed to get to, to go there. So you were really kind of thriving at that point, going through college yourself and healing and... Yeah. And did... did uh, T talk to me about the transition going from college and knowing what you wanted to do to where you're at, where you're at today, unless there's many transitions, but you okay. know, cause a lot of parents will listen and go, okay, well, my kid's going to go to college, get a degree and then go do that work. And that's what they do. Right. Right. And, and I'm glad, you know, bless my parents. They were always supportive of me doing what I wanted to do. They were never like, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything. They were just like, don't waste your passion. Don't waste your talent. My dad would always mm. tell me because he was an artist as well. Mm, and, cool. um, but he didn't pursue art. He became an engineer, you know, but he could still draw like amazing. Mm. And, um, and so that was good that they supported me in that way. And the fact that I even graduated high school was like a miracle. They were like, great, keep going, you know? So they were supportive of me in that way. And then, um, I continued going to school and then, you know, it gave me like a sense of accomplishment, I guess. And, um, but I'm glad that I, I had a lot of time to decide what I wanted to do. I didn't just like go to, you know, university as a freshman, you know, I transferred when I was like 24, 25 years old. So I had a lot of time to kind of explore things at the local yeah. community college to see what I was going to be into. You know, and that that always blows my mind because I grew up in Switzerland. I've been here since '92, so the American school system to me was always like, "Why is there that much partying?" I mean, in Switzerland, we just went to school, right? Even college, it was like, "Let's do the work," right? Mm -hmm. And so it's mind blowing to me that here people go through high school and then it's like, "Go to college right away." Yeah, and it was mind blowing to and me you're too. In it and you're like, "Boom, boom, boom," and then go, go out into the world, make make a living. If you don't do it now, then you, you could be behind, right? Yeah. You'll be, in, yeah, you'll just be behind in debt, you know? I mean, the stress on these kids to just go boom, 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 you know? Yeah, it's crazy. And so you took four or five years yeah. before really deciding what you wanted to major in or mm -hmm. why you wanted to graduate, right? Yeah. And then it seemed like that was a pretty smooth process. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I was, I was doing well in school um, at that point because I was doing what I wanted to do. I had a choice in the matter. It wasn't like a forced thing. And so, um, so yeah, I transferred up there and then it just, I, I started seeing a counselor up there too. We just kind of revisiting cause they had like free counseling services. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I had a therapist that was kind of asked me those questions. Like, had you ever been abused? Cause I was telling her some of this stuff that happened to me as a kid, you know, and I was kind of starting to have these panic things again, you know? This was kind of like before I had the later ones, like when I almost turned 30, when everything kind of hit me mm. before then, you know, I just was kind of going along and, you know, kind of partying there too. But I mean, I saw these like 18 year olds, it's just like, you know, they're turning 21 in like this crazy party town. They've probably never been away from home. It's just too much, yeah. you know, for them to, 
to have all this freedom all at once. And, you know, they push all these drinks on these kids, these like sugary little cocktails and stuff that kids are drinking. These kids are passed out in the bar, you know, and it's just like, this is scary. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd yeah. see kids, you know, these young girls just almost blacked out walking down the street, you know, to these frat houses. And I'd just be like, wow, like, I just don't even want to go there. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I wasn't into that wow. whole scene. I was like the weird artist, you know, kind of had my own little apartment, had my own little art studio apartment. Um, and so you, you didn't really, it, you're saying it didn't really hit you fully until about 30. Yeah. Where you had the whole puzzle assembled. Right. I had moved back home and I had been working at a job and that's, you know, when I started, when I started putting it all together, you know, there was an incident that happened that kind of made me click, click it all together. Um, it was something my grandfather had, had sent, given to my mom, you know, it was some article about women and, you know, it was just having like these surgeries, you know, on their private parts or something weird mm -hmm. to make them like virgins again. And it was like, he gave that to your mom to give to me in a book. Like, and she's like, Oh, here's this book oh. that your grandfather wanted you to read. And wow. then I opened it and found that. And my partner at the time, he's the one that really put it all together. He's just like, this is sick. He's like, why would he, why would your grandfather yeah. send this to you? And it was just like, that was the moment where it was just like, click, 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 click. Yeah, all this yeah, stuff yeah. clicked in. I was just like, oh my God, this is totally twisted. And oh my God, all this stuff. And then it was like, you know, I started remembering yeah. all this yeah. stuff. And I had been successfully working as a graphic designer at my own office. You know, I was doing well. I had my own place at an ocean view in Ventura, you know, I was living the dream, yeah. you know, happy yeah. for the most part with my partner at the time. And, uh, yeah, still drinking too much though, unfortunately. At um, 30? At 30, yeah, or, or mid twenties. Um, and through the healing, the initial yeah. trauma of it. But, you know, I don't judge myself at all because if I didn't have that crutch, I might not be alive because it was just too much to deal with. Like I kind of had to get myself to a point where I could deal with it and yeah. face it and not have, you know, the, the restrictions of being forced to be around people. Like if I was younger, you know, I'd be obligated to go to these family gatherings or whatever against my will as a kid, right, you know, you right. can't like escape that once you, once I felt like once I was in a space where I could take care of myself and make all the decisions and who I interacted with. Yeah. You had control. Right. It was yeah. like, okay, now you can heal. Boom. Here it is. Got it. So like setting, yeah, setting boundaries. So you have your space to, to feel uh, safe and in control so you can actually what we would call focus on what needs to get done. Right. right. And, and do the work. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, that, that started it for me. And then like, you know, like I said, we we're kind of jumping around in time a little bit, you know, where I was kind of, that's okay. when I started having like the panic and I couldn't leave my house. And there was a really intense couple years where right. I was remembering all this stuff and it was really difficult for me. And, you know, I ended up going to 12 step, I ended up going to like incest survivors anonymous for mm. a couple of years. There happened to be a meeting. The only one in the whole County was literally a block from my house oh, damn. and I could go there because it was like far enough from my agoraphobia that I could like get to the meeting. Yeah, you know? wow. Like, yeah, yeah. That was a sign, you know, but once I got that literature in the mail too, it was just like all the symptoms, you know, that people have that have survived this. Yeah. And it was just like, oh man, this is true. You know, and it was, that's when the grief and everything hit me. Cause I was like, man, like this happened, shit, you know, I'm going to have to really work through that. But 
You know, there's a, um, a, a, I don't know if it's a story or a saying, but there's a rumor that um, Freud, back in the day, had declared to the Austrian upper echelon, you know, community and said, you know, I really believe that uh, most mental disorders have some kind of sexual trauma at the root. He even went, I would say trauma, he would go sexual trauma. Yeah. Right? And that quickly got discredited. And it was like, no, 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 that's, that's uh, preposterous. That's crazy. That's not wow. possible. Maybe trauma, but not sad. No, no, no. But the more I interview people, the more I talk about it. And not yes, not every trauma is sexual. But even birth trauma, in a way, has to do with vaginal birth or you're in, you know, it's still sexual energy. It's life, life force right. that gets. Yeah, it's like root chakra. Right? <laughs> so I think, I don't think he was too far off because I've had a few therapists now. Uh, Marilyn Wedge is one of them that's on our, in our film and uh, has been on the podcast. And she says she believes that the majority of it is that. And because it's so it's such a taboo and we don't want to talk about right. it and we yeah. just keep pushing it down the the, yeah. <laughs> the line uh, that all these kids get diagnosed with some kind of defiance or, or anger or ADHD right. or PTSD, something, right? Right. And it's not, yeah, it's not the root. It's heartbreaking. And, you know, like, and the, the alternative healing, you know, is, is really what saved my life. I feel like, because, you know, I did a lot of like... Um, uh, one of the retreats I did was like a, um, a medicine wheel of Peruvian shamanism. I studied for a year and uh, cause I always, I felt like because I was disassociative a lot that it was almost like I kind of was, had one foot in other dimensions sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like I've always felt really sensitive to energy and things like that, which is a common thing too, for yeah. people that survive trauma. Um, and that was really healing because a lot of it was about turning these wounds into strength and get off, you know, getting off this triangle of disempowerment, which is like, you know, perpetrator, victim, rescuer, you know, and getting off of that because yeah. you're either this or you're that, and then you're just going to be stuck in it. Or if you know, you're rescuing people, oh, I'm going to love them and they'll heal their problems, you know, instead of just like, or being the perpetrator, being the victim, oh, you know, it's all poor me, can't do anything, you right. know, being stuck there too. And so that was really helpful for me to kind of dive deep into that and a lot of it is about healing the family lineage and the karma and the energy healing that went along with that and um you know i mean i went as far as like to study like you know the occult and astrology and entity removal and all this stuff you know yeah, i mean yeah. I, I love all that stuff i love think you know the paranormal you know all these kinds of mm -hmm. things intuitive you know i feel really intuitive as a person i think a lot of that had to do with the hypervigilance and the sensitivity as a child and right make a lot of times i can see things before their information way faster and much right. more than yeah or just feeling things are going to happen or dream things that are going to happen i just have like mm -hmm. a you know a sixth sense about you know what's something that's that's going to happen before it happens that's interesting because a lot of uh people i've interviewed say that you know it's almost like a like you said it's a, a pattern right if, if there's been trauma and suddenly like happened to me too uh, not clear exactly what the trauma is but there's some trauma there i'm still working through it as well and it's i've i've I take in so much information like constantly and I'll say things five years from now when my wife is like, well, I don't, what? You remember that? <laughs> you know, it'll be like a slogan I heard somewhere that now I can use it for something I'm doing. I've only heard it once, but it's in. Right. You know? Yeah. That would have, again, talking about gifts, right? We, 
we the traumatized have lots of gifts. We do. It's, it's <laughs> like this empath, you know, are really, a lot of them are really empathic. And, um, I think one of the gifts for me was, um, which kind of tied into the work that I do now and just the, you know, the, the animal cruelty stuff I researched is, a, is when I was young, kind of transitioning into eating healthy and healing mm. foods. And I was vegetarian for, for many years and I still lean, you know, towards that kind of diet and lifestyle. Um, was just being sensitive to the trauma of others and yeah. abuse, you know, just being really sensitive to that and, and wanting to speak out against it or not support it, you know, cause I mean, a lot of these animals that are in these factory systems, they're all female. I mean, they're reper the female reproductive organs are being wow. traumatized, you know, to produce, you know, offspring so we can take the milk from the mom and the, and, you know, to the point where they, you know, they're there, they have prolapse, you know, then they grind them up for hamburger meat, you know, I mean, it's just, it's and then just, we eat it and we have, fear. yeah, we're, we're, you know, <laughs> we're, we're eating that trauma, so you know, just creating a traumatized, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, world I mean, just energetically, you yeah. know, and so being really sensitive to, um, what's the word? It's, it's not disempowerment. It's, it's sensitive to, Suppression. Injustice. injustice. Yeah. Injustice is a big thing. Like whenever I'd see injustice, whether it's with animals or nature or people or other kids or something, I'd always like speak up for injustice. It was like, yeah. no one's speaking out against this. You know, I'm going to say something, you know, and it took me a long time to find my own voice, but that's, you know, to be able to do that. That's powerful. Right. Because I think nowadays there's so many movements and i always say like people that join these big movements like blm or any of the movements which i think are fantastic but often you it's hard to join them if you haven't had some form of trauma where you felt oppressed and you go like you know what it's enough right right because i haven't had that kind of trauma myself and so when i went to the protest not to sidetrack but you know it, it'll make sense in the end i went to the protest and i was like i don't I don't feel like I need to yell stuff here. I don't mm -hmm. feel like this is my energy right now. I will make it, I'm making a difference my own way, whether it's through ADHD or my podcast or treating my African-American friends. I've never looked at them as African-American. They're just my cool friends, you know, that like better music than I do, you know, but, <laughs> but it wasn't, you know, so I felt like I don't need to be here, but I'm using that as an example because yeah. a lot of them there, I could see the trauma like whether it was a like a resolving for them, like a cathartic experience, mm -hmm. but I could see the energy being at a, diff at a different place that I'm used to. Right. So, but then again, it's a gift, right? If you can channel that and say, I, I was oppressed or abused and I have this trauma and I'm now going to speak up for injustice and this is my cause, right? Great. Right. Bullhorn. And yeah. And, and, and being supportive of people doing healing work. I feel like, which was yeah. a lot of the, you know, when I was doing retreats, um, catering for retreats, it was, it was always so rewarding to be providing this like grounding, nourishing, beautiful food for people that were going through emotional trauma. I mean, some of them were remembering maybe the, some of the same stuff that I did. Yeah. And when I was going to, you know, some of the retreats that I went on healing retreats during my healing process, that was always so grounding and, and healing for me to receive that love of that food and that nourishment, you know, while going through that healing process. So that was, that's always been really rewarding for me. And then working with people that, you know, want to heal their relationship with food and just, you know, how can I go from, you know, emotional eating to having this better relationship? How can I love myself with food instead of hurting myself with food? 
you know, those, those are some, those are some of the gifts, you know, to, to be had from, from this kind of trauma. Is that where you got the inspiration for your business? Part of it is, yeah, because the food, like learning to love myself with food and not hurting myself anymore was a big catalyst for the work that I ended up doing because I originally started my business as speaking out for like animal abuse and the abuse of the environment with, you know, the monocropping and the agricultural industrial agriculture and how the poison and the chemicals and all that stuff was just hurting the earth, you know, and it was another one of those like kind of injustice things where I'm seeing this and I'm like, no one even, most people don't even care about this or they're just totally oblivious to it and how devastating it is. And we're poisoning our own water. You know I mean? We're, we're hurting the earth to the point where future generations are going to have to deal with all this, this wasteland that we've left behind all in the name of profits for these corporations that don't really give a damn, you know, (laughs) they're just going to dump all this toxic crap in the water and they're going to make off, you know, to the bank with it. And so that was a big part of how I initially started my business was it was about education where mm. I would do these presentations about this interconnectedness of the choices that we make. Like we are empowered people. We have the power to change these big environmental problems. And a lot of the, the things that you can do, the, one of the most powerful things you can do is choosing what you put in your body, what you put on your plate, yeah. what you support with your money is a, is a huge empowering thing to do. You're I not going to support these corporations. They're going to change the way they do yeah. business. If it's, enough people say, you know what, I'm not going to support exactly. that anymore. They're going to switch to more greener, you know, formulas or whatever to appeal to people yep. that are starting to become more aware of that. I always say that it's supply and demand. Yeah. You know what? It's not going to be there. It's just the same with ADHD and medication. If parents stop demanding medication or diagnoses, it's going to slow down. But parents actually demand it. Well, yeah, because it seems like a quick fix, you know. Yeah, here, I'm too busy with work. Here's some pills for my kid that's going to fix my kid. You know, instead of, you know, doing the the deeper work that it takes to kind of get to the root of these, these problems. And I mean... We have kids nowadays that, you know, are really detached from nature. They're detached from each other. I mean, too much time on screens and violent video games, you know, and and there's just a lot of, uh, I feel like uh, children or this generations, you know, feel a lot of hopelessness, yeah. you know, because there isn't yeah. a lot of the opportunities that there have been before, you know, I mean, even my generation, I'm like, what, I'm 39 you know, we're like one of the most in debt generations of all time. We're the most educated, but we're also the most in right, debt. Right. You know, we're not going to, we're not, you don't get out of high school and you can buy a car and buy a house. You know, you get on this treadmill of debt, yeah. which is like a sense of slavery. And now you add COVID and elections on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Right? It just, it's just a hopeless ball of confusion. Right. And nobody knows what we're going to be doing and how. And, you know, I've done a lot of research myself into currencies and into economic gain or resets that we're going through and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, I'm very careful about what I tell my kids. We have two boys, um, eight and 11 mm-hmm. and they're getting it now, but it's, it, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, drip feeding it. You know, I, I can't just be like, look, here's the world. Right. They'd be like, Oh fuck, I'm just going to lock myself in the room and play video yeah, games. Why would I even want to engage, I, you know, just go outside, yeah, it's right? So messed up. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of a, you know, and then there's a lot of kids on medication that will become adults to what I call, you know, if they're medicated, it's almost like their impulsive, their impulsivity gets, gets thwarted and suppressed. And to me, impulsivity is needed to calibrate intuition, right? You got to make mistakes. You got to do things and try it out. Right. And then they, they graduate, become adults and they're off the meds and suddenly they're like, what do I do? Tell me what to do. 
government, tell me what to do. Right. My friend, tell me what I should order at the restaurant, right? We know we each have one of those friends. There's like, I don't know what, or the, what or I there's do. this complacency too. Or you that. know, like yeah. a lot of times the medication just makes these kind of like catatonic, just complacent yeah. people where exactly. they're, they're not emotional. You're not really happy or sad. You're just kind of there. You Things know, you're good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, I'm not really passionate. I'm not really happy, but I'm functioning and I, you know, yeah. pay my taxes and coping. Right. It's not like, you know, how would that person be if they weren't? you know, right. kind of on these, these medications. And I'm not saying you just like throw your meds away, but it's just like, you know, is there an alternative, you know, because there's so many, you know, there alternatives. Is. And I feel like so much of that's being for, you know, suppressed by the pharmaceutical industries, you know, they don't want people, you know, to, to get on these natural, you know, remedies that can help with, you know, no. bipolar or whatever, depression, you know, St. John's ward or cleanse your liver, you know, maybe that's causing your depression. You know I mean? Their doctors don't even tell people that, Hey, maybe it's your gut flora that's all screwed up from, you know, that is making you have weird cravings and, you yeah. know, or edgy or, you know, you're having these problems, you know, you know, what I love is I go on these support groups and I don't do it as a, I mean, it's slightly sarcastic, but I'm really trying to steer up something because often a parent will say, oh, my son is, you know, depressed. Uh, he's five. What should I do? And I always say, why is he depressed? And you would be amazed by the answers. The answer is like, what do you mean? He's depressed. And I said, yes, but why? He's four. What do you mean? Why? I'm like, that's my point. Yeah, Why kids, is he kids aren't supposed to be depressed at right? five. Yeah. And I'm always amazed how how I get heed back when in fact I'm just trying to find out, like, does anybody consider, like in your case, a great example, are we looking at the entire environment or are we judging a little being having a few sad days or going through something and we're just going like, yeah, it's just, he's it's a disorder. He's just not right. Well, that's, it's that's sad. the culture, you know, we don't take this holistic approach, you know, which is why I love Ayurveda, you know, it's like this holistic, mm. you know, energy. It's like, are you stressed? What are you eating? Are you sleeping? You know, I mean, here, it's just like, if you have one problem, the doctor's just focused. There's like a specialist for all these separate yeah. things. It's all fragmented, you know, it's not the the whole, it doesn't encompass the whole lifestyle of the person and the, and the body and the being and the emotional state, you know, it's just, it's always just like drugs and surgery, you know, that's what makes money. Right. Right. (laughs) Totally. I've been nursing a shoulder injury for injury for six months and I'm, I keep doing it because I believe that eventually it'll be healed naturally. But nowadays nobody will wait six months naturally to heal a shoulder. I mean, I don't want to say nobody, but most people will be like two weeks, three weeks. Oh, I can't do it. I got it. This has got to be surgery. Right. I yeah. need to go back to work. Right. And I just, um, and that's abusive too. I mean, I feel like our society is abusive with just how much people have to work just to make ends meet. I mean, there's no yeah. time for any kind of like, you know, breath, you know, or meditation or taking time for something. I mean, people are rushing to work and they're rushing home and they don't have time to cook food and their kids are just watching TV because the parents aren't home. And it's a societal problem, It is, you know, with the way our society expects people to spend all this time earning and they're not even living, you know, they're just in this hamster wheel trying to keep up with bills and rent and their children are suffering. Their children are being raised by the, the media, yep. you know, which is totally toxic and all these ridiculous, a lot of it's really ridiculous with the values that they're teaching. A lot of right. it's greed and competition and I'm better than you and I have the bigger, better thing and I'm making more money and right, I have the right. shoes and whatever, you know, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. None of it matters. This episode's going to be called, this bullshit. <laughs> 
it's just BS. I'm just tired of it. <laughs> no, but you I know? agree with you. I actually uh, had a uh, um, a ceremony that I partook in two weeks, three weeks ago in Topanga. It was ayahuasca. And uh, I had done like five or six of them. But this one, uh, I came out of it and it was just like no more bullshit. Like literally. And it was hard because I would start seeing bullshit everywhere, including my own. Where I would say something, I'd be like, oh, wait, I got to clean something up first before I can say those words because that's inauthentic, you know. And it just takes, it takes a lot of right. re- reflection. Right. And to be in that, that authenticity. There's yeah. so much bullshit out there, di- like, um, disguised as real stuff. Oh, yeah. And you especially need this. in politics, This is the too. way, you know. We, like, have, yeah. we have the answers. Take you this pill, must you know. eat this burger and take this pill and marry this person and then you'll be great. And then if you're not great, we got another pill. <laughs> yeah, the messages are just amazing. I mean, even for young girls, you know, I, I'm just amazed by it. I mean, I, I disconnected from the mainstream media years ago. I turned off yep. my TV when I was 22. I haven't watched TV Same since here. I was 22 years old. Yep. I mean, if I'm in a restaurant, I'm stuck there with it, you know. Isn't it... Is that- horrible when you're at an airport or at a waiting room and or the like, gas station oh my god like like why i don't want to be subjected to this I nonsense i go like please turn it off and people are like that's weird what do you it's just a show yeah i'm, I'm like, like no. no it's subconsciously <laughs> conditioning you yeah. of what is normal and what is accepted and it's really subtle but it's really powerful yeah one of my mentors calls culture a culture you know it's a cult right and it's i always say Wash your brain, because then it'll be clean, right? <laughs> I want to be brainwashed. <laughs> yeah, I want to wash myself of, of all this programming. Like, yes. Yeah. So now you turned out. I made it. Here you are. You I made it. You're made 39. It. I made it you through. have two kids. I do. Six years old in six months. Six months. Yeah. Wow. You have a boy six months. Six I have years. Two boys. Two boys like us. Yeah. Yay. And it's it's intense. It's it's intense being a mom. In these times anyway, like so many parents and also just in having some of these challenges that still linger on, yep. you know, with, yep. with the PTSD and stuff. I mean, there's times when I get really triggered and, you know, if there's just too much going on. It's almost like uh, I don't panic, but it's almost like, oh, man, I can't cope with this. It's like the baby's crying. My son's talking. Food's cooking. The phone's ringing. My partner's talking to me about something. And it's just like, it's like, I just shut down. I have the same thing. It's like, I just want to like run away screaming. Yeah. I can relate. (laughs) And I have to just, you know, I mean, people just shouldn't be forced to do that much anyway. I mean, our our culture kind of forces us to do that. I mean, I'm trying to run a business and answer my emails and and stuff while I'm trying to be a mom and just juggling all these different roles, you know, is, 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 is difficult. It is. And it is an overwhelm of, of sorts, right? I have the same thing. I get these right. overwhelmed moments. Yeah, I feel overwhelmed sometimes. Yeah. And then the hypervigilance sometimes. And, you know, I still live with, you know, some of the fears of them being abused, you know, and uh, it's sad. I mean, I even suspect my partner, you know, I even suspected him because he like was Just cuddling out, with my son, paranoia. you know, right. yeah, like in, in his bed at night. And it's sad that I have to look through that lens and I have to catch myself doing that. You know, I'll see a grandpa pushing his his granddaughter on a swing. And I'm like, is he is he putting his hand up her skirt? Is he OK? OK, mm. she's it's OK. Yeah, yeah, it's OK. You know, I have to like I, I see the world that way, mm. you know, and it's. And I can catch myself and I know that not everybody is, is like that. And that's yeah. not happening everywhere, but it is happening. 
and I'll happening. be damned if it's ever going to happen while I'm around and, and, and it won't be seen or exposed. But unfortunately, you know, I do, I do live with that still where I have yeah, that. That's amazing. That yeah. sight. Cause right now there's a lot swirling around uh, about pedophilia and all this stuff in, in sort of in the ether. Right. And I, and I feel like it's there for a reason because people say, Oh, it's not really that bad or it is bad, but the conversation has to be had. Right. Not like, Oh, every politician's a pedophile or it's happening everywhere. What does that even mean? But, but wherever it was happening or, or is happening, we need to have a conversation around it and, and come out of this taboo bullshit and just be like, Hey guys, let's stop what we're doing here. It's not working. Let's yeah. figure something out. Like, it's not like, you know, wipe it under the rug. Right. And just, you know, honor how deeply traumatizing it really is. Yeah. I mean, it's like having to try and function with like an arm taken off. I mean, it's really hard to, to function after living mm. through stuff like that. Mm. And just, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, if, if I'm going to be ever be like a, you know, a person that's, that's like a really confident person, you know, I still have like a lot of self doubt, you know, and yeah. that I have to kind of work at it. It's work. I feel like I, I resent it sometimes that I have to work at it so hard still and catch myself in these patterns I go through or the depression or anxiety or, you know, doubting my abilities, even when I've done things for years, you know, teaching, yeah. I, I still have this, this, this almost crippling doubt you know, before I do it. And then I have this amazing class, you right, know, and it's right. almost like, it's like, when is it going to be enough for me to accomplish, to, to feel like, like, you know, you're whole, complete and perfect. Right. Like and powerful. does that ever come or is it and just big. always, you know, yes. it's always going to work. It's always going to be working at it, but I've gotten to a point where I, I witness it more than, you know, kind of just succumbing to, you know, the waves when they do come with right. some of the, you know, the, the old stuff or the, the triggering things. And, um, and I think one of the deepest gifts of, of living through something so dark and so traumatizing is that I can really be like happy, like almost with almost anything happening, like, right. like just really simply like, okay, like nothing bad's happening. I'm sitting here. No one's getting hurt, you know, great things are good, you know, like no matter where I am, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't, it doesn't yeah, yeah. take a lot for me to be happy. Like I'm really just chill with like, you know, <laughs> just That's... situations where, you know, people might be bored or whatever, but it's just like, no, this is, this is fine. Okay. Maybe that's another gift, right? It's like appreciating the simple things when you can. Right. Yeah. Appreciating the simple things and appreciating just not being in that dark place. It's like, you know, once you're through that, it's like, oh, there's so much, there's so much yeah. light. And, and also just having that, just the feeling of being like unbreakable. I think like for me personally, just living through that, um, I just feel like nothing can beat me. It's like, I have this, this inner strength. Invincible. That, right. That, you know, if I can live through that, like I can live through anything. Yeah, I mean, traumas are ultimately uh, hurdles, right? And once you can jump one hurdle and uh, a really tall, scary hurdle, and then the rest, most of the time in life, especially in this Western safe culture we live, we are fortunate to live in, hurdles aren't that tall, right? But we get reminded 
But if another one comes up, it's that big or, or stressful or right. impactful, right? Right. But I get that where you're at now, you have a partner, you have children, you have a business. I mean, you're on your way, as we say, you turned out, you made it, you're a functioning adult, right? Still healing. It's a lifelong process. Indeed. I'm doing it. My wife's doing it. We're still toddlers and healing, <laughs> you know? Um, but what's beautiful is that we are stopping this... Uh, trauma from getting handed down to our children right yeah that's the most important thing. that is exactly it wasn't you're, a clean job but we're like you did it you're like no no more right you know so i just want to in closing i'd love to maybe we'll do a follow-up sometime talk about the state of the world <laughs> um, but i just want to acknowledge you for uh, so vulnerably sharing your story and for the strength and courage that it took for you to really work through it and then confront the abuser or the family, right? To do that and then to do all this kind of healing. And now you're a new mom, six months in. You look great. <laughs> you don't look tired. You don't look you, <laughs> like you just had a baby. So I acknowledge you for uh, all that energy and for, for being here and ma making this, this interview. I don't take that lightly. I really appreciate you contributing to our listeners and I know it's going to make a difference. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thanks, Roman. My pleasure. Really glad to be here. Appreciate you offering the space to allow this story to unfold. Thank you.